This morning's Old Testament reading uh, is from the book of 1 Samuel in the second chapter. This is sort of an a introduction to both of the books of Samuel because this reading is from the mouth of the mother of the prophet, Samuel. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by his actions are weighed. The, bow, the bows of the mighty men are broken. Those who, are, who have stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren, she's referring to herself, has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the, Lord, of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading comes from us from the gospel according to Mark. It's the opening 13 verses of the 13th chapter of that gospel. I invite you to listen again for a word from the Lord as it is there written. As he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name. And say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various 
places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. As for yourselves, beware. For they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. As has been noted before, Jesus and most all of those who were following after him during his earthly ministry were what we might call country folk. He spent most of his time in rural settings, so when his disciples followed him into the megalopolis of Jerusalem, it's not surprising that at least some of them were impressed with the size and the scope and the majesty of what would have been one of the wonders of the ancient world, the great temple of Herod in the great city of Jerusalem. Making mention of their awe, Jesus' response may well have been surprising to them. Instead of sharing with them in their amazement, he tells them that what they are enthralled with at the moment, well, that is only fleeting. What seems to be terribly permanent is, in reality, simply transient. The proof will come soon enough, he knows. But when, but when, oh master, is the question that is asked of him privately, when will we see such an unimaginable event take place? In response to the question posed in his audience with Peter, Andrew, James, and John, as it is written in the book of Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season, there is a time for every purpose under heaven. Jesus here explains that his followers need not concern themselves with the when or the how or the why as much as the what. The word of God is true indeed, and yet sometimes it can be genuinely unsettling. And this, this was certainly one of those times. Last month, can you believe it, marked the 60th anniversary, well, the 59th, we're on the cusp of the 60th anniversary, of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Easy for me to say. It was the closest this world has come to the brink of nuclear annihilation. The two sides were a day or maybe less away from setting in motion a doomsday scenario. I was watching a documentary made back in the 1990s 
about the confrontation, and it included interviews then with former diplomats and government officials from the day 30 years prior on both sides of the incident. One senior American advisor to President Kennedy recalled imagining what Washington, D.C. would look like in the aftermath of an expected nuclear attack with the shattered spire of the Washington Monument rising slightly above a city in ruin. I suppose that a similar sort of apocalyptic scene would have greeted those who set eyes upon the desolation of Jerusalem at the end of the Jewish uprising against the Romans, which ended in 70 AD. The great city, the seat of government and religion for the Hebrews, was destroyed. The emperor's forces had pillaged, burned, and leveled pretty much everything that once stood on that site. A decimated portion of the western wall was the only vestige of the great temple of the Herodians where Jesus once had worshipped and taught. There will always be those who claim to have some special knowledge of or insight into God's will and or timing. Despite that, Jesus warns, don't be deceived. Do not, he tells his disciples, let yourselves be led astray by those who claim to be I am. The text says I am he. Literally, he says I am. This claim of divinity was one that Jesus had made of himself. You'll find it in the gospel according to John repeatedly. And he did this because, as we confess, Jesus was uniquely fully human and fully God. He could say, truthfully, I am. This is the providence of the Messiah and of none else. So beware, he says, of those who will come after me, claiming to be me. I have a book. It's written by a Jewish author, and it's entitled, There is no Messiah, and you're it. The premise of the book is that the promised Messiah has not come, and rather than waste our time just sitting on our hands on the sidelines, waiting, wishing, and watching for a rescuer from above and beyond, that we should be rolling up our sleeves and making this world into the kind of place more the way we wish that it would be. That we ought to do the heavy lifting of turning this place into heaven. Unfortunately, my Christian lens reads sentiments like this as even greater wishful thinking than that the author of this book is himself railing against. For reasoning such as this propagates that which Jesus warns of, namely, trusting in false messiahs. If we are not putting our trust in the word of God and the source of that word, we are trusting something that is lacking in full truth. Whether we believe in something else, in 
science, as it's fashionable to say in some circles nowadays, whether we believe in this media outlet or that one, whether we believe in the unbounded power and the potential of humanity, none of these belief systems are without their own set of problems, not without their own set of deadly perils. All the speculating that they do on so many fronts may be fascinating, it may be titillating, but after telling his friends not to get caught up in, in their day, Jesus tells them what I think was even more important for they and for us to hear. It was an oracle delivered not of the buildings and temple of Jerusalem, but about the buildings of the Christian community, the temple of our own bodies. He begins this more personal, intimate address with, as for yourselves, beware. That's an ominous sort of warning, if you ask me. He goes on to explain that the same tactics of siege and assault that will be brought to bear against the physical structures of this great city around them will be brought to bear eventually against the bodies, the minds, and the spirits of those who follow him. As much as they would not have wanted to imagine the destruction of the land of the Israelites, how much less would they have wanted to imagine an attack on their teacher, leader, and friend, and how much less than that, attacks upon themselves. The message, though, isn't sugar-coated at all. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Nonetheless, Jesus teaches that's exactly what is to come. He isn't telling them this dispassionately as a prophet simply delivering an oracle of woe, but he's doing so as a friend, one who is sharing compassionate words of encouragement for them to cling to when the going gets rough, and it will. He tells them because he wants them to be aware and not caught off guard by the dangers ahead for those who proclaim the name of Jesus. He also tells them that despite it all, he will not forsake them. Even when he can no longer literally stand beside them, the Holy Spirit will remain in their midst forever. This past Wednesday, we played host. Uh, we played host to an unannounced visit by an active duty soldier who is also involved in historical preservation and monument identification. He's presently based in Fredericksburg and he travels the region cataloging and photographing graves, monuments, and markers to preserve our nation's history before it is erased or disappears. Though we can't imagine many of these things, these monuments and these Markers and these graves no longer being around, he's seen just this sort of thing taking place and described for us some recent examples he's seen in his travels. This sort of digital documentation in our time is illustrative of that which Jesus commended to his disciples in theirs. Picture me and my words and never forget even when the former things pass away, 
right before your eyes. This is the very thing we talked about this morning in our Sunday school class as we read in Revelation about St. John the Divine's vision of a new heaven and a new earth, of how the old things would pass away and then the new would come to be in their stead. But through it all, Jesus was and is and shall be forevermore. Those, my brothers and sisters in Christ, those are words that bear rereading, recalling, and repeating. In our own day, we continue to hear of wars and rumors of wars. We continue to encounter a steady stream of oracles of doom. We lurch through our daily lives, distracted by one crisis after another crisis after another one. It is easy to get distracted by all the world's noise through it all. Remember the prophecies of God. Persecutions come our way, some more subtle than others, and some upon certain segments and populations of the body of Christ, but disquieting nonetheless to all the body. It's easy to get caught up in a desire to circle the wagons, to limit our engagement with the world in a desire for self-preservation. Through it all, remember the promises of God. For just such reasons and more, Jesus spoke these words to his friends in his time with them. And through the agency of his promised Holy Spirit, he continues to speak these words to his friends in our own day. These words lead us into two main related lessons that he wants us to take from this address. At least, that's what I conclude. First, he says, don't be led astray. You will be living in a time between the times, following the earthly ministry of Jesus after his ascension and before his promised return in glory and power. Through those days, those generations even, trust in his word and his word alone. Tom Wright the Anglican theologian, scholar, and author de details the rise of many Jewish rebel leaders in the decades after Jesus, clear through the destruction of Jerusalem and straight on into the first century A.D., who continued to spark violent anti-imperial revolutionary movements, each while claiming to be the long-promised and awaited Messiah. Those who followed such men in their ill-fated endeavors and brought, brought even more pain upon themselves and their fellow Hebrews, they obviously failed to listen to this warning from the true Messiah who had already come to dwell among his people and who warned, do not be led astray by those who proclaim I am. The second takeaway that strikes me from this address in Mark is the promise to Jesus' followers that the one who endures to the end will be saved. I find it poignant that all but one of Jesus' disciples, whose names were not Judas, would be put to death by the authority. They had so much belief in Jesus and in his word that even decades after his crucifixion, they remained steadfast adherents 
to his words, to his teaching, so steadfast that they would be martyred rather than forsake his name. We then, who today call ourselves by that holy name, we who are in this age called to be witnesses of, to, and for the true Messiah, we are both challenged and heartened by these same words of Jesus to his friends two millennia ago. Yes, things are going to be rough. Yes, folks are going to make untrue claims about their identities and their abilities. Through it all, remain steadfast and hold to that which I, the great and only I am, has spoken to you. Do this, my friends, and no matter what you face in this world, no matter the hardships, the trials, the sufferings that you endure, all of it will eventually pass away, just as the mighty ancient fortress walls. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.